Amen. Welcome here. I just want to give my greetings as well and welcome here. Uh, so someone left me some gloves. I don't know who these are, but I might have to put those on. But it's a it is a chilly morning. Um, but we are we are. I'm excited to preach this morning. I'm excited to bring the word of God. Are you guys excited to hear from the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. It is it is such a blessing to be able to to spend time together to look at the word of the Lord and see what He has uh, for us this morning. Um, to begin, you know, as, as each of us staff come up here, we've tried something every once in a while and have have uh, failed at it sometimes, but try to share a little bit about ourselves, something that maybe the congregation doesn't know. And it's getting harder and harder, uh, which I think is maybe a good thing because I think a lot of you guys know a lot about us and maybe not everything. But one thing that came to my mind that maybe you don't know is, is as I know you probably know I like movies because I've referenced movies quite a bit, but I love documentaries, believe it or not. Anybody here like documentaries, like a good doc, right? I love documentaries. I, I love like... Um, Particularly, I do love hip-hop documentaries that talk about the history of hip-hop and, and those types of things. But I love all kinds of documentaries. I don't know what it is, but, but just getting an inside look at things. And it just, I don't know, they're just fascinating. That's, that's a word you could use, I think. And, and I saw a documentary uh, this week that I want to begin our, our passage, uh, our sermon this morning about. We're talking a lot about being cold and, and talking about fire already. And I want to talk about... Um, a different kind of fire. I don't know if you guys have heard about the fire festival. If you have, um, some of my slides are missing on here. I don't know if hopefully they'll be up there. Is there a logo there for the fire festival there, Christy? Oh. There we go. Okay. The sermon this morning is called You Are Dead. But this is the fire festival. Some of you may know all about this. Some of you may have no clue. This is a... a a documentary that has been out. And what the fire Festival is, here's what it is. A few years ago, there was a, a businessman and there was a rapper uh, who wanted to come together and create a music festival. They had an app that was out that you could book artists through. And they had a dream, a vision to create an exclusive, exotic music festival on an island. This was the vision. And so they decided to go forward with this. That's why it has the flame there and it has the water to represent where they wanted to do it in the Bahamas. So they apparently, they bought an island that used to be Pablo Escobar, if you know his reputation uh, being a drug dealer. And they bought this island for like $8 million dollars. And their plan was to have this huge thing, bring music, big music artists to have, you know, villas and this whole, this whole thing, this exotic, exclusive VIP experience. And they shot this big promotional video, this trailer, and they invited all the top models and celebrities to come. And they shot for a few days this exotic trailer and they put it out there. And before you know it, Word was spreading that this is what you want to go to. This is the place to be. This is an experience like none other. There's going to be amazing things at this event. And they hired what they call social media influencers. The Kardashian, one of the Kardashians, Courtney, I believe, one of them, big models, other influencers in the social media world to post an, a burnt orange tile, just a color of burnt orange, and put hashtag fire festival with a Y, Y, why not? I don't know why they have a why. But they would post that and they said, hashtag fire festival. And before you know it, it spread. And they had packages for this event that were ranging from, I think it was about 10 grand to 250,000. 
Okay, so this sounded fantastic. Now, the, here's, here's where the breakdown happens, or I want to tie this into our passage today. This documentary is all about how it all fell apart. Completely an utter disaster. Because what happened was this guy, if you want to put up this picture there, this guy, as you can see, he's got some authorities around him there. Billy McFarlane was the investor. He was a con man. He had gone to investors and got $26 million based on saying he was going to bring in this artist and bring in this artist, and none of it was true. And it kept going and kept going and kept going. And it came to the point where people arrived on the island. They, switched, they had to switch islands because of different things that were going on. So they had to go to this other island, Zuma, Bahamas, and it came where people actually arrived. And they were promised villas. They had paid thousands, like I said, up to $250,000 for this experience. And this is what they showed up to. These are hurricane relief tents. It was a sea of hurricane relief. It was a tent city. There was no food. The food was pretty much like, I think they threw it together in the last couple of days, like grilled cheese sandwiches and bread and just stuff like that. There was no vehicles. There was no flights back. There was no security, like nothing. The artists, all the bands, nobody came. But people did come to the island and they were stuck there. And they pulled up in a bus and they saw this. And then in the, in the documentary, and I, I don't want to promote it because it does have some bad content in it. But in the documentary, they show up and there's a guy in the back of the bus saying, turn around, turn around, turn around. What is this? It was a garbage fire is pretty much what it was. And now he's being charged. He, he's not charged. He's in jail now. And there's all sorts of things that are coming up, the deep corruption that went on. So as I was thinking about this, as I saw this, and I was relating it to our passage today, there seemed to be some references. Because see, Fire Festival had a name, just the cool, hip name. It had the spreading, the viral influence that was out there. It was going to be the place to be. It was going to be the most alive festival you've ever experienced but it was dead. There was nothing but hurricane relief tents. And so we want to come to this passage today. We've been going through the seven letters. This is the fifth to the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 to 6. So why don't you stand with me and we'll look at this letter today to this church. And this is what the Lord of the Lord, word of the Lord says. Revelation 3, 1 to 6, to the church in Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who, is, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will, know not, you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, 
and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning looking at this letter to this church that you call dead. And may we look at these words this morning and heed this call and this warning that we find in these words. May you direct this time we have, Lord. May my words be your words, Lord. May you speak to all of us this morning. And may we really look at this word and realize the importance of being alive and what a dead church looks like and what you've called the church to truly be. So we thank you for your word, for the freedom we have to meet, for the freedom to look at this this morning and see what you want to speak. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, so like at that fire festival, people the day before, can you imagine what it was like being there? They were telling Billy like, look, we can't do this. People can't come. Like this is craziness. But he kept going and kept going and kept going. But yet it just all fell apart. You know, we look at this letter this morning at this to the church in Sardis and, and throughout this whole series, we've been looking at particular churches in particular places in a particular time. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed that because as we've been walking through this, we've seen how the letters are very customized for the cities. Tying into, like we heard last week, about the trades and about the, the things that were happening there in the churches. And the same thing goes for this church. We need to look at the history of this city before we look at the church to kind of realize. Because these letters were written in a particular way, a particular context for this reason. So, a little background on Sardis. It is the fifth city on the postal route. It was rich, very rich. It was known for gold. We sang about Refiner's Fire this morning. There was, there was a river there where gold was just very abundant. It was sinful. It had a reputation out there for being very lavish, but also having sinful people. It had a very strong reputation. Here's the map here we can see in the poster route where it is there. It was actually the ancient capital of the Lydian kingdom. It was maybe the first place to actually have coins minted as they had so much gold and stuff. There was, there was uh, some commentaries that said that. It was also known for a center for wool and for dyeing, as we talked last week about the church and had that, which kind of ties into some of the things we see in this passage, interestingly enough, too. See, Sardis was known as a military stronghold built like with big cliffs, and it was known as having a strong military presence. Yet, yet, it was conquered twice, 549 and 195 BC. The Persians and the Greeks conquered it. You know, and what's interesting is we're going to look at this passage as he says, you need to stay awake or I will come like a thief in the night. The people in Sardis would have known what that was like because that's what happened. In the middle of the night, they were conquered. They climbed up what they thought was an impregnable fortress and the way their city was built, but yet they were conquered and they were overtaken. 
So when Jesus says, I'll come like a thief in the night, that was written for them and they would have known exactly what that would have meant. And this is what I'm talking about, these connections in these letters to the particular places. They had a great leader, Croesus was once a great leader. There was a temple, as we've looked at all these cities, to idols. Idol worship was, was strong there as well. Caesar and Olivia, they had big temples there. Sardis also was destroyed by a massive earthquake. Another thing that happened suddenly. See, Sardis was known as a city that would say, oh, never us, it's not going to happen to us. No, we're too good, we're too great. Those things aren't going to happen to us. Conquer, no. Earthquake, never. Both those things happened, though. They were known for being lazy and being not caring about things and worrying about them. One of the greatest cities of the world. It's in ruins now in Turkey. It had many historical people there. Aesop, you know, Aesop fables was said to be there. It had a history of degeneration. And that's what we see when you look at this passage. See, when we begin here, Jesus says, I know your works. So we're thinking as we look at some of these letters, well, here comes maybe some commendation. We've seen that in some of these letters. I know you've done good deeds. I know you've done. And we've seen that throughout this whole thing. But then he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. In verse 1. My slide's going to work here. But, the big but coming in there. You are dead. If it doesn't pop up for me, Chris, just throw it on for me. You are dead. There you go. This is some pretty serious stuff. There's no commendation. It's jumping right into what their problem is and what Jesus sees. It's kind of like if you've seen the movie Sixth Sense and Haley Joel Osment, I see dead people. That's what Jesus is saying. You are dead. So, wake up. His call to this church is to wake up. In verse 2, as a father to four little kids, I know what it's like to be woken up out of your slumber, to be fast asleep. Maybe you've had a rough night. You parents of little kids know this. And the alarm clock goes off, and sometimes that doesn't wake you up, so you just hit the snooze button. And the kids come on, you just wake up, wake up out of the blue, and there's the alarm clock. And it's not a fun feeling. But that's what he's telling this church to do. You need to wake up. You know, a few things that this church at one time, when we see the words in this passage, must have been doing well. Must have been actually following the Lord. Must have been doing the things that the Lord was pleased about. But they had fallen asleep to the point where they were dead or near death. They needed to wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. See, this was a church that had a name out there. Hey, have you been to Sardis? Man, their kids program is killer. Their programs are fantastic. It's amazing. That's the word that would have been out there about Sardis. That's what they would have believed about themselves. But it isn't interesting in this passage, what Jesus views them as. 
And that's what we're getting through this whole series is. You can think this about yourself, or this is what people think about you in these churches. But what does Jesus see? What does Jesus truly see? And he sees death. You know, one of the first talks I was able to give here as a student, I talked about the topic of perishing. What does the word perish mean? And perish means that it's not dead yet, but something's in the process of dying. I gave the example of leaving something in a fridge in the dorm, and it may be there for months, weeks, and it's still there. It's not dead yet, but you know that it's on its way from the smell. It's in the process, and this church was perishing. Sorry, none of my visuals working. We're going to make Christy work today. Sorry, Christy, thanks. I have a few slides I want to show you today. See, wake up. What wake up actually means, if you want to go back to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus says, please stay, stay awake as I go to pray, you can say what wake up actually means is to watch. And this brings back the whole military side of things in Sardis. You need to stay watch. Nobody was watching the night that they came in and they conquered Sardis. Wake up means to be on watch, be aware, be alert. Because they were not. When I'm fast asleep in my bed and my kids run in, I am not alert. I am not awake. I am in a stupor and I'm wondering what is going on. They needed to wake up. They needed to strengthen what remains. See, in this church, we, we don't know the history of this church like we know some of the other ones we've read. We don't know what all is exactly going on. It's not fully clear here. We could point to a few things here. But we don't know exactly what's their problem. But all he's saying is you're dead. Which means there's something serious going on. But inside this church, what Jesus is saying is, but there's still some. There's still a remnant, if you want to use that word. There's still some of you that truly are following me. Using the example of clothing. That your clothing is still white. White meaning purity. White meaning truly following. You know, this could be a reference to maybe some of the issues in this church with sexual sin when it says you haven't been stained, you haven't been defiled, whatever it may be, that might be possible. But the thing with this church is when we look at it compared to other ones, Smyrna, the other, the other sermon I preached a while back, Smyrna dealt with persecution. We talked about that, right? They dealt with the things that were going on there with Caesar worship. They dealt with the inside, the Jews that were slandering them. This church had none of that. They were not persecuted. It was not a center of Roman worship. They didn't have anyone speaking bad about that. So, you know, we always think Laodicea, which we're going to get to in a few weeks, is the worst in the lukewarm church. In some ways, I think this one might be the worst, in my opinion. Because they didn't have all those things fighting against them. They were just dead. And it's such a serious thing that Jesus is bringing to them. But he says, strengthen what remains in verse 2. There is a lot of weakness. There is a lot of darkness. But Jesus can see that there are some. There are some that still remain. Because he found their works, the things they were doing, their programs, their ministries, they were not, they were not complete in the sight of my God. They weren't good enough. 
And so what does he tell them to do? Verse 3, a few words here I want to bring up. He tells them to remember. Remember, remember what it was like when you were truly alive. Remember what it was like when your church was not just a reputation, but it actually was proclaiming the word of God. Remember what I did for you. Remember your first love we've talked about in this series. Remember. See, churches that are dying forget, don't they? They forget to preach from the word of God. They forget what truly matters. They forget to be living all out for the Lord. They just slowly degenerate and fall asleep into a coma. And he's calling them, Jesus is calling this church in Sardis to remember. And after they remember in the same verse, in verse three, he says, keep it, keep those things. Because they had let them go. They let them fall on the ground. They let them completely fade away. He's saying you need to keep it. Remember then what you received and heard. The good news, the gospel. Keep it. That is very important. As a church, we need to keep the things forefront. We need to keep prayer central, preaching actually from the word of God and not just self-help sermons. The love between us, the care, all these things, we need to keep the Lord's Supper. These are things that are central to us being a church that is alive, truly alive, not just seeming alive. So remember what you received and heard, keep it and repent. See, repenting is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. As followers of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, when we sin and we all fall short of the glory of God, we need to repent. Repent means to turn around from your sin. And this church was, was loving being in their sin. They were just in it and they were just accepted it. And Jesus says, no, you need to repent. Whatever it was, whatever the issues were, you need to turn from those things and turn back to me. Because if you don't, I am going to come like a thief in the night. Very serious warning. Turn from your sin. And for all of us as followers of Jesus, we need to heed that warning as well. Not to be living in our sin, not to be pretending we are alive and really dead inside, like whitewashed tombs. Remember, keep it, repent. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. This idea of soiling, we sang this morning about, about being white, about being refined, about how fire comes to do that. And we have a God who when we choose sin and we decide to cover ourselves in those things, that he can make us white again. Amen? He makes us pure. He forgives us because of his grace. was read this morning by Wes because of his grace for us, his love for us. And they will be worthy
You know, I think this, this movie gets used quite a bit, I think, in, in sermons as well as an illustration. But a friend I was talking to last night and, and said I should, should bring up this, uh, this movie. is The Princess Bride. All right, Miracle Max and Wesley. If you've seen the movie, I think probably most of us have. He says he's dead, like he's dead, he's done. And he says, well, mostly dead. He's still slightly alive. Mostly dead is still slightly alive. And that's like this church. They were mostly dead. In a bad state. You know, I, I know what it's like, and, and most of you here know that I was able to, to meet my birth mom, and I was bedside with her. I've never dealt with much death in my life, but there I was beside the bedside of my birth mother, Marie. And it was her birthday yesterday, actually, so I was talking to family and bringing these things up to my mind again. And I remember sitting beside her, and everyone around her was talking, and, and she, near the end, just like she wasn't even there. You know, she wasn't in a coma, but the life was just, was just gone. You could see it was days away. I remember posting Facebook statuses to, to all you here being like, it looks like this is, this is it, like final prayers, final goodbyes. And finally, a few days later, she did pass. And that's like this church it's like that heart, monitor, that heart monitor that's beeping and beeping, but it's about the flat line. But there is still hope. There's still hope. Because Jesus says the remnant is there. And if you turn from your sins, I will clothe you in white and I'll never blot your name out the book of life. You know, at this time in cities, they would keep a census. We know there were census done by the Roman Empire. And they would keep track of everybody who lived in these cities. But if you died or you were a criminal, you'd be taken out of that. You'd be taken out of the directory for the city. And so he's using this for them as well, that you could be taken out. But if you follow me, if you truly live for me, I will not blot your name out the book of life even though there's threat of that happening if you don't. And not only that, that he says, I will confess your name to the Heavenly Father and before his angels. I will confess his name before my Father. Those who turn, I will go to my Father and I will say, yes, they are following me. They are truly alive. Isn't that amazing? The opposite of being dead and, the, and then that idea of being brought before the Father, of being alive. I, I found it really interesting in this passage, there's a very, you know, Trinitarian form. You're talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son. He talks about the Spirit, the seven spirits. There's various views on what this could be. At the very beginning, he's talking about how Jesus is saying, and to the angel of the church, the words of him, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Some believe this is like the sevenfoldness of the Holy Spirit. In, in my opinion, reading it, seven means completion. It's the number of completion in the word of God. And I think what he's saying is it's the completion of the Holy Spirit, the fullness He's saying bringing the works before God were not complete. And that's why he's given the contrast. The Holy Spirit is fully complete. And the seven stars were the ministers of the churches. So there's that reference as well to completion. But he will never blot the name out. 
And he's the one who conquers. The one who conquers the sin. The one who actually truly wants to fight against it. That's the one that will truly be before the Lord. And so we don't know what happened. That's the thing is, I don't know if you found this, as we have read about these churches, it kind of feels like a cliffhanger. Like, well, did they turn? Did they get better? And some we know, as I said, I shared about Smyrna and how there was polycarp, and that was an example of, of things that had happened down the road. Well, we, we don't know much about this church. How does the story end? We do know one thing. We know a person that was there, a bishop. I'll try to put his picture up here for works. Named Melito. This was decades after the letter was read, but Melito was known as a strong Christ follower. He put the, the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ as, as top, and he was the bishop at this church. He was the pastor in Sardis. So this might point to maybe there was a revival. Maybe they woke up. Maybe they got it together. And that's the only evidence we really have. You know, as I've been looking at this passage, as, as Pastor Josh and I have been preaching these sermons, we made it very clear that this is not just about churches long ago in a particular place, and it's just for them. This is for us as the church. This is for Karenport Community Church. So what does this letter mean for us? I think to be really honest as, as your pastor here, that Karenport can be a very comfy place. It can be. That's not saying there isn't difficulties here. That's not saying it's hard times. There obviously is. But this can be a very comfy place. You know, we've heard, I'm sure you've heard it around, that this can be like a bubble and it can be like a greenhouse and all these things. You know, even, even for our church, it's an o- oasis is the imagery you use. The idea that people come here for a while and then go out but we can have that reputation of being comfy. I was just at Breakforth a few weeks ago and talking to people about Briarcrest and some of the conversation came up like, oh, it must be like a really, really nice place to live. Like, it is. It's a wonderful place to live. And I had conversations with, with some people that even talked about like, well, you know, do you, are you able to get out to communities in the area or do you kind of just stay in, in Caronport most of the time? And I thought like, I'm in Caronport a lot of the time actually. Maybe I should get to Moose Jaw more in different ways beyond groceries and do some sort of ministry. I get to go out sometimes, but it really challenged me. But we need to be careful of being too comfy because dead churches die because of tolerance of sin. There's many reasons why they die, but you can boil it down to this. And John MacArthur says this, that tolerance of sin is what leads to death in a church. But to get to that, comfiness settles in complacency settles in, as Pastor Josh already mentioned. And we need to be careful of that. I am not saying we are dead. I believe we are alive. I believe there are many good things going. I also believe we're not perfect. I also believe there's lots of things we need to work on as any church. But this is a call to us as I'm reading this letter. We need to be careful of that. Are we truly alive? We don't want our reputation to go out here from from Karenport and from CCC to be like, oh, that church has lots of cool things going on and, and lots of exciting things are happening there. But if we here as the people who attend this church, 
aren't truly living for the Lord, aren't truly walking out what we proclaim in the other days of the week, then we can become dead. And all, everything we do won't matter. So that is the warning to us. And to you personally, are you alive? Are you alive today? Are you feeling dry? Are you feeling like you are just empty? Because if we have a bunch of people here that are feeling that, then what life do we have? You know, we need to be walking out daily, helping each other, supporting each other, being in the word of God, truly walking this out to be worthy, as Jesus says here. We want our reputation to be one of loving God, loving others, being true followers of Jesus in word and deed. You don't want the reputation to get out there and then people show up here like the fire festival and be like, this is not alive. The church should be alive. We need to be living out the call that we have in our lives from the Lord. You know, it's like, it's like this book. I saw this. This is not my book. This is, my, this is Elias' book. This is like a whole thing. So you see, it's just black. Hopefully you can see this, right? It's just black, but there's this little segment. You see this okay? It's kind of shiny. This reminds me of the church in Sardis when I saw this. Like there is, there is, some, there is some good, there's some brightness. But Jesus says, I want you to wake up. I want to bring the Holy Spirit. I want to bring revival back to you, bring life to you. And so he just comes and makes it all fully bright again to life again from darkness and sin. This is a picture of what Jesus is saying here he wants to do. He doesn't want us to be slightly alive. He wants us to be fully alive, living for him. So we need to ask that for ourselves today. And as we come now, we have the opportunity to have the Lord's Supper. Where we remember what the Lord did on the cross for us, where before we approach this table, we should repent and confess any sins that we have. So we come before the table in white. That's what we're called to do. To keep these things, to keep this, this isn't just a tradition, a routine we do. This is a, a, holy, a holy time of remembering, of joining together, Because without Jesus, we are dead. Without the cross, we are dead. But because of Jesus, we can have life. We have life. And that's the call to the church in Sardis. And that's the call to us. He wants us to be alive. He he died. He faced death so that we could be alive. He beat death. So that churches like this, churches like us, could be truly living again. We also have the opportunity next week for Youthquake. You know, we're going to have students come to this building, to this very place right here, 
who don't know Jesus at all, and they're going to hear his name, and they're going to hear the truth of the gospel, and they're going to encounter it, and they're going to have to make a choice. Do you want to follow the narrow road or the broad? You know, Sardis had jumped from the narrow to the broad. The call is to be on the narrow. There's going to be those that don't know Jesus, and they're going to come. There's going to be those that know Jesus, but are asleep, that are dead. Youth, leaders. And so we need to be praying and for ourselves that this will be a time at Youthquake where people leave truly alive. That if they walked in dead, they will hear the truth, they will feel love, support, care, and the reputation of Youthquake and the reputation of this place will go out as a place where Jesus is alive and is moving and working and is real. That those posters and everything, videos that have gone out promoting it wouldn't be like the fire festival where they show up and be like, this isn't at all what I was seeing was going to be here. They show up and be like, this is exactly what was promoted. This is exactly what I need. So if you are sitting there today before we come to this table, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. You need to confess. You need to turn your life to Jesus because you won't be walking dead anymore like a zombie. You will be truly alive. And the Lord will forgive you and the Lord will be with you, whatever you may face. And if you are sitting there this morning and you have accepted the Lord, but you have fallen away and you feel like you are asleep, you've let things slide, you've decided to make choices which are now hurting your walk, you can become truly alive again today too. And if you want to talk to anyone, talk to me, Pastor Josh, to anyone. Don't leave this place today dead. Come to life in Jesus. So I want to call forward uh, everyone who's involved in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to come to this table this morning with all of this in mind.